Guess what? I'm moving country again. I don't know. Maybe a year. Maybe more. Where's home? Home's everywhere. I'm an expat. Hello, it's Pauline from Meet the Expats, and in today's episode, I I meet with Michael Torp, who has travelled the world as a teenager and lived in nine countries, if I'm correct. He's also the founder and podcast host to Expat Money. So, hi, Michael. How are you? Very good. Happy to be here, Pauline. Thank you. Thank you for joining. Where are you based today? Uh, so today I'm in Panama City, Panama. Uh, we've been okay. here for about four years and it's gorgeous. Nice, right. bright, sunny day here. And yeah, life is Lucky good. You. It's been freezing here in France. <laughs> I'm expecting snow in tonight. Yeah, I don't envy you at all. I, I'm much more a uh, beach and sunshine and hot weather type of guy. Well, I am too usually. So winters are winters are rough in Europe right now, but it's good. Well, before we start, can you introduce yourself briefly to our audience? Sure. I think that the easiest way might be to kind of tell you a little bit about my backstory, uh, sure. how I got here, and then I think things make sense maybe a little bit more. So, um, Pauline, when I was a child, I was diagnosed with a learning disability, and what happened okay. was I was in grade three. And the teacher pulled me out of class and they sat me down in a little room and it was like the principal and the vice principal, maybe a resource teacher was there. And they said, Mikkel, Mikkel, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. And what we want to do is send you to a special school, special school for okay. special boys. So that's what they did. Every day for three years, I got on a little white bus. I took a little white bus across town and I went to this quote unquote special school. Now, the only problem, Pauline, was that it was actually not a special school. It was a regular school with a special class. So you can probably imagine what mm. happened. I got in a ton of fights. I got picked on mm. and I got bullied. And it was overall a pretty crummy experience. Now, this is no woe is me story, poor Mikkel, victim, victim, victim. <laughs> Absolutely not. I hate that type of mentality. And to be honest with you, Pauline, when I got hit, I hit back. And I hit back twice as hard if I could. Like, I would never claim otherwise. But yeah, after three years, I was finally able to go back to my neighborhood school. And I was so excited and I thought, this is going to be amazing. My friends will have missed me and everyone's going to wonder what happened to me. And once again, you can probably imagine what happened. First day of school or first week of school, um, you know, everybody starts gossiping and whispering. And mm. Oh, I remember Mikkel, he went to some retard school. Thanks, guys. Totally politically correct. Very <laughs> sensitive individuals. You know how children can Kids. be. <laughs> Kids, exactly. Yeah. So... Um, so basically, I stopped going, uh, and then I would fail, and then they'd put me in summer school, and then I would fail that, and somehow I made it into to high school, and then I would fail that, and then I just I basically just stopped going. So at 12 right. years, I stopped going to school, and at 15, I officially dropped out. And when I was about 16, 17 years old, uh, I started traveling. And when okay. I started traveling, I started meeting all these incredible people who were building their lives completely different than anything I've ever seen. And mm. they didn't know my story about learning disability, which a side note is dyslexia, which we know in today's day and age is not really a big deal. But 1980s, it seemed to be this horrible, horrible thing. And we need to segregate the children. Misunderstood. Yeah, yes, exactly. But um, the point is that uh, when I started traveling internationally, um, I saw that there was just so many people learning things in different ways and recreating themselves and building their lives 
on their own terms, you know, not things right. that had happened to them, you know, as a child that they couldn't, you know, couldn't control. So fast forward, and uh, I have been traveling now for 23 years straight, uh, wow. nonstop. I have been to 110 countries now. I uh, lived in nine, and I've circumnavigated the globe over 400 times. I do this from the hobby level because I still today, at 40 years old, love traveling. And mm -hmm. I do it from the personal level. Um, my wife is from mainland China. Uh, we met in Germany. We got married in Africa. Our daughter oh. was born in the UAE. Our son was born in Brazil. Um, and we live in Panama at the moment together. You know, my kids speak family of languages. the languages. <laughs> yeah, so it's very international family. And then I do this as a business. This is what I do for a living is I help people move overseas. We, I don't do relocation. What I focus okay. on is the legal side of things. So uh, the legal, the tax, um, the immigration, the investment, the structures, the banking, these types of um, right. things are what I focus on. And we've been going for seven years now. It's a seven-figure business and it's a lot of fun. And yeah, it's great. I love it. Absolutely love it. The legal side can be fun then. Yes, absolutely. It's really, it's like a puzzle. If you can <laughs> try to, you know, figure it out and it's, I don't know, it scratches an itch for me, I suppose. All right. Okay. Well, let's come back to when you first started traveling. How did you suddenly decide I'm going to go traveling after all those difficult years at school? Good question. So when I was growing up, my father told me that traveling was the greatest thing he ever did with his life. The only piece mm -hmm. I didn't understand is why he only did, you know, one or two trips when he was in his early 20s backpacking around Europe and never continued. Like if it's the greatest thing, why don't you dedicate your okay. whole life to it? Yeah. Now, when I was uh, a kid, I was very heavy into martial arts. So I actually got to compete in Team Canada or for Team Canada in Ireland. So I went to Ireland, England, and Wales for a month when I was a teenager. And I saw that my father was absolutely correct. Traveling is the greatest thing you can ever do with your life. And I decided at a very young age that this is what I wanted to dedicate my life to. And All I right. just kind of never stopped. You know, you I just kept going it. and going. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. All right. And so, yeah, you started traveling that your father struck this interest. You were able to do it with martial arts. How are you able to move this as a lifestyle and make your work out of it? I mean, it's one thing having it as a hobby, like traveling for the holidays, moving around with your family, but it's one thing when you actually make it your business. Sure. So the first probably seven years, I want to say, I was just bumming around the world, working whatever random jobs, lots of hospitality stuff, kitchen work, things okay. like this, and saving up money and then doing geo arbitrage. You know, if I could work, <laughs> uh, like I lived out in the ski resorts in Canada, for example, I was out there for 18 months. I saved up money and then I went down to Central America and I spent another 18 months hitchhiking and backpacking through all of Central America and South America. And, you know, I figured out quite quickly that even at minimum wage at, I don't know, probably six, $7 an hour at the time, you know, in Guatemala, the cost of living might be $10 a day. Yeah. So if I could work two hours, two I could hours. spend an entire day down there. 
So that's what I did. You know, I just did this geo arbitrage by maximizing my work. But instead of keep going home and saving up money, I just continued on. So for example, mm-hmm. um, as I had said, I did a trip through uh, Ireland, England, and Wales. And then I came back, I worked for a little bit, then I went to Western Europe. And instead of going home after that trip, I went out to the ski resorts and I worked okay. out there. And then I went to South America, like I just said. And then I went to the States and then I went to New Zealand and I did a working holiday visa out there for a year and then three years in Australia. And every time I would just keep using these as these jumping off places and travel and travel and travel. So those were kind of the the early years, the first seven or Mm. eight years. At some point, though, I, I can't remember what it was, but at some point I started getting interested in finance and specifically like equities and stock market and things like this. Um, okay. And then found options trading and I traded options and got really heavy into finance for about seven or eight years. And I made a lot of money and I lost a lot of money too. I blew up my portfolio a couple of times, <laughs> which is a good learning experience. And that was probably the next seven or eight years. And then I decided I wanted to get into entrepreneurship. So entrepreneurship, you know, yes, I screwed it up a few times and tried ideas that didn't work, but it was all okay. I mean, I learned lots of things, Mm. but at some point I sat down with a piece of paper and a pen and kind of tried to figure out what do I love to do and what am I good at and what do I already know and understand? And so I took the expat living and travel side of things, which has been my passion since I was a kid. And I took the the finance and um, investing and all of this piece of it, and I just mashed them together and I created expat money. So if you go to expatmoney.com, you can see a ton of my work um, you know, we have, yeah, we've just been going for a very long time. Our podcast for about seven years now, uh, we do monthly webinars. We have weekly, uh, or daily, uh, newsletters. We just have a ton of content that we put out, um, at expatmoney.com. So it was this built out of a, my passions slash what I already knew and understood, and then just kind of grew from there. Okay. Yeah. Bring it in on fully into you into your life then and I'm just pretty amazed when you say I I just never went back I kept on jumping country from from country to country at any point do you say to yourself I want to settle somewhere or I miss this place or I miss home or what even would you call home Well, that's why I do not consider myself a digital nomad. I consider myself an expat. Everything that I do is expat related. My book is expat. My podcast, everything is expat. You know, there have been times where I've had a very heavy clip of traveling, like when I was hitchhiking Mm. in South America. Um, Sure, that was very fast paced. But then, like I said, I was three years in Australia. I was eight years in Abu Dhabi. So that Mm. was quite settled you know I had so it everything. became your home for those oh, years absolutely you know that's why I said I've lived in nine countries yeah. those are countries where I've really lived and built a base mm. and spent substantial time you know and had an apartment and furniture and everything like that so I mean we've been here in Panama for four years we have a 4700 square foot penthouse apartment in downtown Panama it's I had to furnish this thing from nothing. Like, do you know how much furniture I have? I am definitely not a digital nomad. Like it's ridiculous. Um, but we still travel a lot. You know, we go away almost every month now. Uh, you know, we're going to, my wife and I go to Jamaica in a couple of weeks. Uh, next month we go to Dominican Republic and 
you know, we're just, we do what we call the hub and spoke model and we use a base and then we travel okay. out from there. So, you know, while I live in Panama, I'm not going to be visiting Fiji or Tonga or anything like that. Yeah, I did that sense. when I lived in Australia and New Zealand, and I'm not going to be going over to Oman and Qatar and Kuwait mm -hmm. and things like that. I did that when I lived in Abu Dhabi. Now it's like yeah. Caribbean. Central America. Yeah. yeah. Central America, Caribbean, and South America. That's it. You know, just over, like just every country that I'm missing. Because my goal is to go to every country in the world. Like I've had the goal mm -hmm. for 20 some odd years and I definitely want to do that. But as for your point about do I get tired? No, because I'm an expat. So I live here yeah. full time. I've got friends. I, I know where the best places to go. And I incorporate myself into the country and the culture and everything. And I try to do that yeah. in everywhere we live. Yeah, you've built a real base, a real home, and you, yeah, you've settled down each time you've actually lived in the country. Exactly. Okay, let's move on a little bit. Um, I'd love to hear more about your expat international school of freedom and entrepreneurship. Um, can you tell us about it and how this started? Sure. So... My main business is consulting. So I charge a ridiculous amount of money and I work one-on-one -on -one with clients uh, to help them move overseas. These are high net worth individuals, you know, kind of that two to $10 million range. I do have some clients that fall within the 150 million. I, I have one at 150 million and then a couple around the 70 to 100 million net worth range. Um, but what kept happening when I was working with clients is... They wanted to move overseas. They wanted to get away from what was happening in North America and a lot of the divisiveness and problems with the politics. And mm. they wanted to create, like to build a new life in a new country, you know? Okay. However, the challenge that kept coming up was the education for the kids. So obviously there's right. international schools and there's some really great international schools and there's some really terrible international schools. Mm. A lot of the international schools are just rehashing of public education in their home country that really they're trying to get away from, but now they charge you $15,000 to for the kids to attend. <laughs> yeah. So that didn't make a lot of sense. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I did an interview with a gentleman named Michael Strong, and he had taken his domestic school, um, his brick and mortar school, and brought it online. And he is very like-minded, very freedom and liberty-minded, same as I am. And uh, we clicked instantly. I had massive respect for for him the first time I met him. I think we we spoke for about two, two and a half hours the first time, and I was asking him so many questions and, well, what about this? What about that? And um, because of my background in education or my experience in education, mm. I'm very critical of public education and what is done. Yeah. And I've always wanted to do homeschooling for my kids. So we do homeschool our children right now. However, there was, you know, it can still be helpful to have a curriculum or something to go through. I always thought we would just do an unschooling or world schooling version of, of homeschooling, which is currently what we're doing. But when I talked to him, he kind of explained it to me like this. He said, Mikkel, this is homeschooling by professionals. I was like, wow, that's really cool. That's like really, really neat. And everything he does is based on Socratic thought. So they have conversations about ideas. It's not based on rote memorization, which I am very yeah. much against. You know, I'm extremely mm. well-read you know, I have a lot of experiences in my life. I am a 
truth seeker and a freedom seeker. And what he said really made a lot of sense to me. So we started to become friends and started coming up with ideas on how we could take his domestic online school and retool it to the international market. And that's what we did. We came up with the Expat International School. Uh, So you guys can find out more information about it at expatschool.io. It's a fully online program. However, it is not a video program where you watch a pre-recorded YouTube video or something like that. These are Zoom classes with a maximum of 15 kids. Then you have a guide. And we pay our guides like double, triple what normal teachers get paid. So they love working with us. We give them a lot of freedom. They're all philosophically aligned. They understand the teaching method of conversations about ideas, about Socratic dialogue. And the kids just absolutely love it. And we've got kids in probably 15 or 20 countries now. We're going to be expanding into multiple languages, into multiple time zones. And it's a viable solution for families who want to travel with their kids and live Mm. overseas and still give their kids the absolute best educational education possible. So it's, it's amazing. You're talking about homeschooling where it's sort of, there's no real like standard standards or accreditation. So here you'd have what you call the guides. um, And does this mean that, if they were to go back to the US or whatever country that they call home, would the kids like have the same level and have a proof that they have the same level to go back into the normal system? Good question. So actually what happens is we have two programs that run simultaneously. We have an accredited program by the school board in Maine, in the United States. And we have a non-accredited program where it's really flexible and it's based on what the child wants and what the parents want. Mm. So depending on what the child thinks or believes that they want to do, their their path in life, we're able to spend more or less time on certain areas. Now, there are standards. We have very advanced reading levels and very advanced mathematics, you know? Yeah, not surprised. Although if you want to be a a sports star or an artist or something like that, the math, you know, we can, we can modify that a little bit, but yeah. they read difficult text and they discuss the ideas in text. That is a, is a standard. Yeah. There's so a lot a very... more reflection and questioning Correct. behind Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But then our kids are able to go on to any university. Most of the kids make it into Ivy league schools. Most of them at a very young age, we have kids that have entered into MIT at 15, 16 mm-hmm. years old and uh, Harvard and other Ivy League schools as mid-teenagers um, after going through these types of programs. So because Michael, my partner, he's been doing curriculum design for over 32 years. So he has a ton of background and knowledge. I'm not a teacher. Absolutely, I'm not a teacher. But, um, but I do believe in the idea and I do believe that it is a great option for my kids. So I don't do any yeah. of the teaching or the curriculum design. Uh, I I let him handle that, but I am able to help from the lifestyle side, helping kids adapt to becoming an expat, Um, the different languages. You know, there's a lot of focus on Mm. world history opposed to just U.S. history or just, uh, you know, Canadian history. It's really a lot more open. You know, when the kids are in there, they're discussing challenges and problems that they have living in a new country and, you know, maybe their families move on. 
because I don't know your expat journey or the journey of everybody who's listening to today's program, but what's very typical as an expat is you'll move to a country for two, three years, and then mom gets a new job, dad gets a new job, and you move to yeah, another country. And that's just a piece, that's just how it goes, you know? Now with this, with our program, the kids can actually stay in the same class. So they have a lot more stability right. in their lives because they see the same people, the same guides, their same friends. It doesn't matter which country they're going to be moving to. That's a huge benefit for them. And then being able to discuss this with other kids who understand. Yeah, they're with other kids that are living the same thing. I think the, the fact that they discuss their lives and their challenges as an expat is great because I don't think that even if you're in an international school or a like foreign school in a different country with other expats, I don't think you talk about it that much unless maybe you're a bit older, the young kids probably less. Um, only question is, all of this is done online. Do they not have, like, what about the physical interactions? How do those kids make friends in the new country like it's also part of them settling in the country is having friends that they see they go to school with how does that work definitely and those are all via um, valuable things so there's a couple of ways that we handle this for the interaction between the students we do trips physical in-person oh, trips wow. so for example there was 10, no, 15 kids uh, a couple months ago who went to Greece on a trip. So they had okay. been studying about Greece and ancient history and um, the culture and the language and the food and everything like that. And then they got on an airplane and they went over to Greece and they spent, you know, eight, 10 days, something like that over there as a group. So now they got to interact with each other. Mm. So that's amazing. Uh, where I am here in Panama, we have, I think, six or seven families. So probably about eight or nine kids that all go to the school. So they're able to right. do local meetups. We, okay, so there's a, there would be a physical school or it's, so this is not a have the classes school. on top. Well, what we're, so there's, there's a couple of things. With the kids, they're able to organize themselves. So get together okay. after class or meet up or, yeah. you know, go out for dinners or go to the mall mm. and things like that. So there's in-person things. Because Panama, for example, is a huge expat hotspot. There's so many expats here. And there's mm. so many of our kids in this area. So that's pretty amazing. We'll actually even be doing a trip to Panama next August with um, the kids who live in other countries who will be coming over to Panama to see what's going on here. And then the third trip for next year, we're going to do Greece again. We do um, Panama, and then they're doing a domestic trip inside the U.S. I, I can't remember where it is right. off the top okay. of my head, but they're doing three trips in 2023. So that will be amazing. Now, one of my other big projects that I work on is I sit on the board of directors for a community development company in mm. Central America, and they're building large... Um, house complexes. So these are communities with three, 350, 400 homes in them. So probably about a thousand or so people in them. And they're being built, um, one in Belize, Nicaragua, um, Panama, and we're looking at land right now in Costa Rica, but the plan okay. is to have these in multiple countries. We've already made a, agreements with the school that we will start building brick and mortar schools in each one of these communities. So not only the kids that live in those communities can go, but kids who are part of the school who are in, you know, neighboring communities can commute in to go to this. And what's going to be amazing is that a lot of the families that I work with, they're 
They'll spend a couple months in one place and then a couple months in another place. So it's mm. not digital nomadism, but it's kind of, and it's not 100% expat just in one place. It's, it's this hybrid between. model. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, for example, in Panama, we have a community that's being built in the highlands. So the weather's a lot cooler. It's in the mountains. It's mm. the volcanic region. And then in Belize, it's out on the islands. It's beach. It's, you know, super hot weather. So you have very diff- um, a lot of differences. But that doesn't interrupt the child's education. If, you know, you spend six months of the year in Panama and six months in Belize, they can still go to school. The teachers are the same because we'll be piping in a lot of the information um, via video conferencing. And then they'll just be a guide on the ground who helps facilitate things uh, there. So. It's all growing. Not everything is completed, but um, you know we've been going for a couple of years now on well, both on the communities and on the um, on the school, and it's all being built right now. And the response is fantastic. You know, there's a lot of opportunities still for kids to get together in person, and yeah. and we're working hard on that because I do think it is very valuable. Yeah, I mean that's where they learn the social codes also. Definitely, there's there's still that happens on a daily basis inside of video conferencing. Um, The other thing that we can do is, or we do do, is we always encourage the kids to participate in sports, activities. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, we homeschool my daughter right now. She's six years old. We have um, neighborhood kids who also homeschool. They come over to the house and they do art class. So we hired a private art teacher. Uh, My daughter goes to karate two hours a day. Uh, five days a week and wow. there's like 30 kids there and she's, you know, interacting with children, you know, so time, she still yeah. gets a lot of interaction. So we in- encourage this type of behavior as well, because it's not just an online community. It's very much an in-person community. Yeah. As long as they're able to meet. That's when you you said it was like for the international, it was hard to picture that. Okay. You also had groups within the same cities and they could actually meet up. Nice. Very good. Uh, I mean, that's super interesting. I it's I think you're the first person who really talks about uh, an alternative schooling on this podcast and having the online online school. So it will definitely be be beneficial. Let's move on to the recommendations. I think for you in Panama, maybe a little bit of background on how what's your feeling about life in Panama. You were saying it's very very international, a lot of expats. Could you tell me, tell us a little bit more and then we'll switch to the recommendations. Sure. Panama's a gorgeous place. You know, I first traveled here back in, I think it was 2003 or 2004 when I was hitchhiking through the region. And I, I got a chance to visit all Central American countries back then and since have been back to most of them over the last four or five years. You know, Panama is light years ahead, especially when you compare it to somewhere like Belize, who's grown a little bit, or Costa Rica, maybe a little bit more. Panama is light years ahead. It's a fully developed city. There's amazing restaurants and bars and cafes here. Um, You know, walking distance to my house is three cinemas with VIP sitting. So you get a blanket and you push a little button on a tablet and someone delivers a glass of wine to you and stuff. But it's, you know, $12 for your ticket instead of like $60 for your ticket you know, which is what cost us when we lived in the UAE and we wanted to have that kind of thing. Mm. There's fantastic medical facilities here. There's a Johns Hopkins hospital close by. Um, I don't know. It's just a great place. And it's tax-free. 
I mean, there's no taxes here whatsoever if you structure things correctly. And, and that's part of the work that I do. So, you know, being able to reinvest in my business is amazing um, without having to give away the first 50% of it. You know, I still give back to the community and the society in lots of ways. Mm -hmm. I sit on the board of directors for nonprofits. Um, you know, we have domestic help here who works for us full time. We've got a nanny and a maid. We pay them very generously compared to what lots of other people pay. We're happy to, you know, I think I think I am the only only person living in Panama whose nanny sends his her son to private school. So. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah, so we, we like to take care of her. She's part of the family, you know, so I want to yeah. make sure that she has a good life as well. But Panama's gorgeous. Um, yeah, we've been here four years now and it's really spectacular. Okay. So what would you recommend in terms of one bar or cafe, one restaurant and spot of your choice, Carte Blanche? Okay. Well, uh, tonight I have a friend of mine. He's a hedge fund manager from Manhattan. He's in town. I'm going to take him out to a restaurant called Savaje in, um, Costa del Este. They do these really wild shows. So it's, it's a restaurant and a bar. They do like okay. sushi, but then also steak and really nice meats and things like that. And then they have a show. And every time someone opens, a, uh, orders a bottle, so you order a bottle of Grey Goose or something, they all come out in monkey costumes and dance around, and there's a DJ. It sounds really weird, but it's just amazing. It's, it's <laughs> fantastic. It's so, so much fun. So I'm looking forward to showing that, uh, that to him tonight um, and, uh, and see what, what he says. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that would be my bar slash restaurant. And then what was the other one? Just uh, another um, cool place? Blanche, yeah. Whatever you want. All right. Down in Panama, if you go to Balboa, Avenida uh, de Balboa, there's this uh, promenade. So sometimes we take my daughter um, there and we bring down the bike and she, you know, learns how to ride her bike and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And it just goes along the water. And it's so you, you have the ocean in front of you and it's basically the Panama Canal. So you get to see all the ships going through. And then behind you is this amazing skyline and it's all green and grass and everybody's outdoors and going for a walk. And we bring down like picnic stuff and sit on the grass for a couple of hours in the shade. And my daughter rides her bike and my son runs around and it's just rad. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just super nice, you know? You just don't go from like noon until 3 p.m. because it's really hot in Panama. But if you go yeah. first thing in the morning or you go at like 4 or 5 p.m. Mm -hmm. before yeah. the sun sets, it's just gorgeous. There's so many people out and there's booths of people selling stuff and there's people doing live music and there's, just, I don't know, there's just always something going on there. It's really cool. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. And last question, what would be your song? All right. So, um... When we lived in Brazil, uh, what we did was my wife and I did birth tourism. So my wife was like five, six months pregnant, and we flew down to Brazil to give birth. And we rented a vehicle, and we started getting into the Brazilian music. And everywhere we were going, we were listening to to Brazilian music. And now every time I hear like these classic Brazilian singers it transports me back to, you know, driving around That's Florianopolis, how... Floripa, you know, a brand new baby, a couple of weeks old in the backseat. <laughs> yeah. And just 
just life just perfect, you know? So sometimes we put it on here at the house and we had like our driving mix of all the Brazilian samba music and, and things like that. And it really does transport me back even today. Nice. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for all these insights around your life, uh, how you created this uh, alternative online and physical schooling and also yeah, your life as a nomad, but also more as an expat and building your own, uh, your own business. I hope all this was valuable. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pauline. I appreciate it. And uh, if any of your audience wants to reach out or learn more, you guys can go to expatmoney.com and check out our articles or join our newsletter or subscribe to our podcast. Uh, it's called The Expat Money Show. So whatever podcasting application that you're listening to us on today, feel free to, feel free to type in The Expat Money Show and we should come up number one. We'll link everything in the comments as usual. And if you guys enjoyed it, please go put a rating on Apple Podcast or Spotify. And as usual, you'll get all the latest insights and updates on Instagram. 